My name is Jay Smith. This is The Jay Show. Welcome. It's great to have you on board. We're going to be doing an awful lot of research, unpacking research, looking at material that confronts Islam, that engages with many of the questions that Muslims are bringing to the table. Uh, we're going to be doing material today and the rest of the days that you, know, you probably never heard before. We're going to be looking at new material, new research. Uh, we're going to be especially looking at the historical problems of Islam. Now, uh, you might ask, well, what, what's, uh, what are these problems? Uh, what exactly are we researching? To unpack that and to understand it a little better, I have a guest with me, uh, with me today. Her name is Hatun Tash. Hello. Hatun, so glad to have you. Thank you for having me. What we're going to do, Hatun, for the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at some of the historical problems of Islam. And there are quite a few historical problems, are there not? There are. There are. Um, next few weeks, we will be looking at the Quran, um, historical unreliability of the Quran. We will be looking at the Quranic manuscripts. We will be looking at the different Arabic Qurans. Okay. For 22 years, you had a man named Muhammad yep. who received these revelations piecemeal, one after another, from the angel Gabriel. And where did the angel Gabriel get this from? Uh, to Islamic tradition claims that come from Allah. Comes from Allah. Yeah. Okay, so he spoke it. He said something to the angel. He whispered into the angel Gabriel's ears. How did he do this? Islamic tradition doesn't tell us how angel got the revelation from Allah, but Islamic tradition tells us how did Muhammad received his revelation from angel. Um, there are the certain occasions he gets uh, very red. There are the certain occasions he falls on the floor. There These are, are Muhammad. The, when, is, Muhammad yeah, red, when Muhammad gets red, Muhammad his revelation. falls on the floor. Okay. Yeah. So this is wahi. This is inspiration is what you're talking about. Yes. The word in Arabic wahi is how he received these. But let's back up before that. Is there anywhere that you have heard well, that Muslims say where this Quran originally came from? If it, where do you, what have you heard concerning where it came from? So Muslims would tell us Quran actually came, comes from Allah. Unpack that a little bit. What do you mean? Is it a tablet? Is it a stone? Is it a book? Is it a memory of Allah? Uh, the knowledge of Allah? What are we talking about here? So Surah 85 verse 22 tells us it is the preserved tablets. Okay, back up a bit. Surah means what? Surah is the chapter in the Quran. Ayah means what? Ayat are the verses in the Quran. Okay, so, so these are the book and verse. Yeah, current Quran we are reading compiles 114 surah and 6,236 verses. 6,236. That's a lot of verses. Now, so we're talking about book or chapter 85, verse, verse 22. 22. Tells us Quran is the preserved tablets. When we look at the Islamic tradition, how people interpreted this, interpretation is Quran is the eternal word of Allah. It is with Allah in heaven. So that's one, that's the classical account. And I'm going to keep bringing this up. The classical account is what Muslims will tell us today. Yes. And this is what we've heard, what, for 1400 years, right? Yes, that's correct. Well, we're going to correct that number, but let's just go with 1400 years for now. So historically, the only narrative that we've ever come across is this narrative that you're bringing up, that there are, that there is this word of God, it's eternal. That means it's uncreated. It's uncreated. Okay, it means that the beginning, there's no beginning. In other there words. is no beginning, there is no end, it's in the presence of Allah. That uncreated narrative, or book of God, is then sent down piecemeal, little at a time, from heaven down to earth via the angel Gabriel, okay? Yes. And given and started in 610, 
Where did it start? So according to Islamic tradition, Muhammad used to go to cave for meditation uh, to kind of take himself out of the his life and then meditate. And while when he was there, um, he had a vision, angel uh, squeezed him and then he, um, angel gave him the first revelation, which starts reading the name of Allah. In fact, he said he squeezed him and he said to him, Akra, which yep. means recite. Yep. Muhammad responded, Ma'akra, I cannot recite. I, I cannot read. He could. He is known as the unlettered or the uh, the illiterate prophet, whether that's Accor true or According not. to Islamic tradition, yes. So that's why he said he could not write. Three times this happens, yep. finally the angel lets him go and lets him return back to Mecca. And what does he do in Mecca? Um, he goes back to his wife and then he tells Khadija what happened. Khadija was his only wife at that time. Yeah, Khadija explains, um, asks him to explain more. Khadija goes back to his her uncle and then people come to conclusion that this is the revelation Waraka from Ibn Allah. Nofal is a name of this relative of hers yes. and uh, it's Waraka Ibn Nofal who's a Nestorian Christian yes. according to tradition who then says what to Muhammad when he uh, hears the story about the angel in the cave in the Hira cave uh, what does he say to Muhammad according to him Muhammad is the coming prophet oh so it's a Christian Christian is um, expecting another prophet to come which is against Bible. Isn't that rather ironic? It takes a Christian to tell Muhammad, Muhammad that he is prophet. a prophet. Even Khadija was not sure. Uh, of course, it's fascinating. We do know that Waraka ibn Nofal at that time was translating the book of Matthew. It's too bad he didn't get to chapter 20, Four, uh, 24, <laughs> because if he had got there, he would have seen very clearly that we must be careful what we translate. We must be careful what we do uh, with revelation, but let's get back to this story. So at that time, six ten, yeah, these he starts receiving them. So first revelation arrives in six ten, and last revelation arrives um, in six thirty two. That's soon after, like when Muhammad dies, revelation finishes. Again, it ends with him. Okay. According to the Islamic tradition, then Quran began uh, six ten to six thirty two, and it's all finished. written down, ready to go once he dies. That's what you would wish. Well, I but assume so, wouldn't it? Yes, but because Muhammad couldn't read and write, um, when Muhammad died, he didn't leave any book behind. So there were certain. Wait, are you telling me this was not written down at the time he died? No, we didn't have Quran, which is uh, current Quran we That's are reading. So people wrote certain verses and people memorized the verses or chapters, yet they didn't compile the Quran in the time of Muhammad. But I've always thought and I've always assumed and I've always been told by many of my friends that the Quran goes right back to Muhammad. That the book we have in our hand today, this Quran is the only book that can hear is the one right here. This is the Arabic Quran. And if you look at it, if you want to yep. hold it up, yep. you can just show it that according to what Muslims tell us. Yep is the original Quran, is it not? If the Arabic. One of the original, yeah. One of the originals, okay. Uh, you're saying that this does not go back to Muhammad? Uh, if Muslims are making a claim that current Quran we are reading as a book goes back to Muhammad, then they are discrediting the um, uh, Islamic tradition, they are discrediting the Hadith, because uh, Hadith tells us, uh, customs of Muhammad, tells us actually Muhammad didn't compile the book, um, around six, when six, in 632, when Muhammad died, people started uh, having war with one another. Six, between 632 and 634, Abu Bakr, who is the father of Aisha, uh, one of the wives of Muhammad and father-in-law of Muhammad, 
uh, urged to compile and the he's Quran. he's the first caliph, so he's that's the why first he's caliph. important. He's the one that takes over from Muhammad when Muhammad dies. Yeah. He's the next caliph after Muhammad. Yeah, first okay? caliph. They call it the first caliph, all right? Uh, so uh, when people urge him, he, he kind of says, oh, I can't do something Muhammad didn't do, but in somehow Allah reveals him, yes, he can compile the Quran. So we don't have any Quran before Abu Bakr. Abu Bakr compiles the first Quran. He does. Uh, uh, like he brings people to compile the first okay, Quran. Okay, and there's someone actually he brings to do that. His name is Zaid, Zaid bin, bin Thabit. Thabit. Yeah. So Zaid bin Thabit is the one that compiles the first Quran. Who is Zaid bin Thabit? Why is his importance and why should he be given that task? Um, there are lots of in-house debates in Islam regarding him. Um, he is the one who memorized most of part of the Quran. Um, he is the one who was the scribe of Muhammad. The scribe, scribe. the secretary. Secretary. So he could read and write. Yeah. Muhammad could not, but Zaid ibn Thabit could. So there were yet, other people that could read and write at that time. Yeah. Yet Muhammad didn't use him to compile the Isn't Quran. Isn't that odd? So rather clumsy, I would say. Why didn't that? Why was that not written down by Zaid ibn Thabit? who is his secretary while he was still living? Um, it That's the first question that. we need to ask, okay, number one. Secondly, it then was written down, you're saying, in six, between 632, six, within that first two-year period, yeah. because a lot of the companions, those who had memorized the Quran, had died at the Battle of Yamama. Yeah. And so that was written down by Zaidi bin Thabit. What happened to that copy? So um, that Quran, that copy has given to Hafsa, and then Hafsa co keeps that Quran um, under under her bed or in under her pillow. Again, according to tradition. According to tradition. This is all according to Islamic tradition. Yes. Okay. This is the classical model you're talking about. Yes. This account we read from Sahih Bukhari, which okay, is. Okay, we're going to talk about that later. Okay. But just so the people know what we're talking about, this is Islamic tradition that says it was compiled between 632 and 634 under the auspices under the authority of Abu Bakr by Zaid ibn Thabit. Given to the Hafsa. Given to Hafsa. And then when Abu Bakr dies, Umar becomes second caliph. Okay. And then Umar dies, we've got Uthman. So 634, he becomes, becomes caliph. 644, he is killed. Yeah. Uthman then becomes caliph. Yes. Six so he's number three. 646 to 656 around. Um, Uthman so is the, the third caliph. So for the next 10 years, he is caliph. Yes. And what something happens during his caliphate that's very important concerning the Quran. So now uh, people are just disagreeing. The, the Quran which is exists as a copy is not matching what people are remembering. So they are urging Uthman to com make one perfect copy. Ah, okay. So why? Uh, hold on a minute. Uh, wasn't there a perfect copy already at the time of Abu Bakr? Uh, the one that was, didn't we just get down, telling me five minutes ago that that copy was given to Hafsa? So there is already a perfect copy. So th there was one copy, but people who memorize the Quran, they are disagreeing what is in that copy. So, ah, so there's more than one community, Quran. community is saying this is not what it's supposed to be. And then there is a disagreement in the community. So, um, it comes to Uthman and then they say, okay, let's make one perfect in fact, copy. Backing up just a bit, in fact, we know from the traditions again that yeah. there were actually four major copies, what they call metropolitan codices. There was one that became very popular in Damascus. Yeah. And that was the copy, the Quran of Ubay bin Kaab. Yeah. There's another one that became very popular in Baghdad, and that is the Quran or the Codex of Ibn Masud. Then there's another one that became very popular in Basra, and that's the Codex of Ibn Musa. 
And then we have Zaid ibn Tabiks, the one we talked about earlier, which became very popular in yep. Medina. So four different codices, metropolitan codices from four different cities. So these were starting to appear, and of course they didn't agree with each other. And we'll be getting and unpacking that later on in one of our other talks. But just so the people see, this is the classical model. So that's why they had to now come up with one original copy. Yes, because people are disagreeing, and then Uthman says, okay, let's compile, let's make one perfect copy. As he orders to make one perfect copy, he brings a committee together. Yeah. So people kind of write. And then if there is any disagreement between people, they need to go with the Kureysa dialect. Oh dear, that has lots of problems. I'm not even going to begin with that problem. That's not the time to do it right now. But certainly what we do know, there were some must have been some disagreements because one copy that needed to be made. Yeah. Then what happens next? Um, as they make this copy, um, Uthman orders to burn every written form of the Quran. Because it disagrees with this final yeah. copy. Okay, we're going to unpack that in other talks. We're, we're just giving a quick overview so that we yeah. can see where we're going to hit and where we're going to go historically. Yeah. The, everything we're talking about is history here, aren't, aren't we? Yes. Now, from everything you've told me now in the last 10 minutes, last 15 minutes, what I'm seeing now is really we've got a final Quran at the time of Uthman, basically 18 to 20 years after Muhammad's death. That now is the Quran that is final. Uh, yes, okay. that's the final Quran. So, which means uh, that Quran should exist today. Because we're only talking about six, uh, 1,400 years ago. Yes, plus we are talking about the time when um, Islam was in charge of, Muslims were in charge of the other communities, other tribes, other countries. So if I, go, if I ask my dear Muslim friend, can you please provide me uh, references where your Quran from Uthman is, they should be able to give me name of the place. Okay, that's why we have... What, why it's important that we go look at these Qurans. And yeah. what we want to do in the intervene or the, the subsequent shows that we're going to be doing from here on out, we're going to be looking at five areas. Three of them have to do with the Quran in early Islam and Muhammad and all that. But we're going to look at these. Let me just start with the first area that we're going yeah. to look at. And that is the problem of the 26 Arabic Qur'ans, because you just got done telling me that there was one Qur'an, and it was that Qur'an done at the time of Uthman that it still exists today, and Muslims have claimed that, do they not, that the Qur'an has never changed in 1400 years. The Qur'an we have today, this Qur'an right here, this is just, this is one Qur'an, is the exact same as all the Qur'ans all over the world. Is yeah. that correct? Uh, that's what Muslims tell us, yet history contradicts that. Oh. So what we have is... Um, the Quran Muslims memorize today is not the Quran you are holding in your hand. Well, that's the same Quran. I thought there was the same all over the world. Yes, that's, that is the claim. But when you go to the different countries in the world... Let me give me this one. What about this one then? Is this the same? No, that's not the same. Hold the other way. I've got it upside yeah. down. Get it the right way up. Yeah. Okay. So, so this, these two are both Qurans. They both have 114 surahs. But you're telling me they're not the same, and yet they're both in Arabic. You can open that one up, and I can open up this one, and we can see they are both written in Arabic. Yeah. So we're going to have to talk about this. Yeah. So um, if you travel around the world and visit the Muslim countries, there is a big possibility that you will find another Quran which is not matching the um, current Quran Muslims are reciting. So current Quran Muslims are reading is Quran which went to Kufa. It's called Hafs Quran. Okay, so we're going to talk about that yeah. 
in uh, in subsequent talks. Yeah. We're going to actually unpack some Qurans. You have found quite a few different Arabic Qurans. Yeah, so uh, there are 26 different Arabic Qurans plus Hafs Quran. Yes, uh, I think it, it's supposed to be more than that, but right now in um, Fanday's possession, we've got only 26 This is of how them. many you have found. Yeah. And you spent about two years going around compiling and collecting these Qurans, have you not? Um, it is sad because that's because uh, Muslims haven't been able to produce us those critical edition of the Quran, so okay. we have to do that by so ourselves. So we're talking about Qirat, and we're talking about the Ahruf. These are the changes in of words, spellings, nothing more than that. But we're going to show it's a lot more than that, are we yeah. not? So the Qurans we will be looking in next couple of sessions is, they are the different Arabic Qurans, and they changed the meaning since uh, Muslims tell us, Muslims have been telling us not even a dot changed in the Quran. No. Yet um, we've got 26 plus half Quran, 27 Arabic Qurans, and they are disagreeing with one another. Now, you and I are not Arabic speakers. No. We're using Arabic scholars to do this. Yes. We're going to be using one of the best Arabic scholars to actually make sure that the Arabic that we're going to show the world is. Actually, anybody can read it. it you don't even have to know Arabic, and yeah. you can see the differences visually. Yeah. And then we're going to show the translations of how different they are. That's going to be in a subsequent yeah. video. But let's talk about something else that's on our come up, and that has to do with the six manuscripts. So um, we go back to Islam traditional account, and remember, Uthman uh, ordered to burn all the written forms of the Quran. And then as, as he did that, um, he had one perfect Arabic Quran. Right, so that's the original copy. Yeah, the original copy. And then he sent this copy, with, he multiplied this copy, and then sent a copy with one person to each uh, different cities. Different provinces. So how many provinces, provinces were there at that time of Uthman? Um, approximately nine provinces. Nine so provinces. Islamic tradition doesn't give us the which provinces it went. There are lots of in-house debates. But in 7th century, in the time of Uthman, we've got Basra, Baghdad, Damascus, Jerusalem, Cairo, Adam, Herod, and Nisapur. So nine provinces. Okay, and Alexandria is in there as well. Yeah. Sorry. So we have nine provinces that we now know of that existed yeah. at the time of six 52. Yeah. So that means nine different Qurans went to nine different provinces, which means there should be nine Qurans today. I should have nine perfect complete Quran, which is dated 650s in the time of Uthman in somewhere in the world. And we're going to look at that question. Yeah. And we're going to ask and see what kind of manuscripts we do have. Yeah. Because we have some of the manuscripts. In fact, why don't you hold that one right yeah. up there? This is probably one of the most famous ones. Uh, this is the top copy manuscript. Why don't you just open up so people can see the inside. We now have every page of it. We can. Yeah. It has now been photocopied. And so we can look from yeah. page to page to page. Turkish scholar Dr. Tayyar Altıklaç and Ekremettin İhsanoğlu looked at the Topkapı Musaf. So they had access to Musaf in Topkapı. They looked into it and they, they studied. So this is uh, some of the pages from the Topkapı Musaf. And we're going to unpack and see because there have been studies done by these two scholars yeah. uh, who have actually spent five years looking at these page by page, line by line, yeah. showing that there are some real problems with this manuscript yeah. and the Quran we have today. Yeah, so the information they are giving us is um, this Quran does not match with the current Quran Muslims are reading. 
and this is the best they've got. Yep. We're going to talk about that in detail. We're going to look at that. We're also going to then move away from the Quran a bit because the Quran is important, but we also want to look at how Islam began. Yep. If there are problems with the Quran, and remember, we've been told this. I For 35 years that I've been working with Muslims, I have been told that the Quran is perfect, it's inimitable, it is eternal, it was sent down to a man named Muhammad, it has never changed. The Please Quran that we have in our hand today is exactly every word, every line, every ayah, every surah is exactly the same that that which was revealed to Muhammad. Every book, Quran all around the world is exactly the same. That If you're memorizing it in Timbuktu, if you're memorizing it in Indonesia, if you're memorizing it in London, it's exactly the same. Uh, all over the world. These are what we've been told over and over and over, but no one's ever investigated it until now. Yeah, when people start investigating that, they come to conclusion, actually, sadly, our dear, Muslims, our dear Muslim friends are misrepresenting the information. So there are different Qurans out there, there are different manuscripts out there, which does not match with the current Quran. And it is very difficult to find completed um, Quran from 7th century and 8th century. So we want to go back now and we want to ask another question. And this has to do, we call it the two Qiblas. So we've got the 26 Arabic Qurans, we've got the six manuscripts. Now we get to the two Qiblas. Explain what we mean by the two Qiblas. So according to Islamic tradition, um, Quran tells us in Surah 2 that um, in 624, um, Allah changed the direction of the Qibla. From Jerusalem back down to Mecca. Mecca. The canonization of the Qibla in 624. Yeah, so Qibla is the direction your, our dear Muslim friends turn when they pray. Every Muslim, That's doesn't matter where they are in the world, yep. five times a day they have to, to pray towards the Qibla, yes. which is the Kaaba in yep. Mecca. In Mecca, always in, in Mecca. Mecca. Okay. And uh, now latest research uh, tells us actually um, Islamic history and Islamic tradition doesn't match. Um, so they looked at the, um, some of the earliest mosques, um, Dan Gibson did some study, he looked at the 61. For 25 years he's yeah. been studying this, has he not? He visited the mosques, he lived in that area, he can speak the language. He looked at 61 mosques, he tried to find the direction of the Qibla. And he comes to the conclusion, sadly, um, direction of the Qibla is facing to Mecca. Um, I think date is of, uh, late 9th century. So before 9th century we've got mosques, Qibla in the well, mosque. Actually, it's 8th century because 727 is the first one. That actually, the yeah. first one facing Mecca. Yeah, but we uh, still in 800s, 866, we've got mosques are not are facing. Still facing. Yeah. You're saying they're not all facing Mecca yeah, yeah. until the 9th yeah. century. But there are some that begin to face Mecca for the first time in 720, 729, yeah. 731. So Muhammad died in 632. So you're saying that the earliest. Qibla, the earliest mosque, is not for a hundred years. Archaeologists are telling us, uh, even though Qibla has been canonized in 624, we don't have any mosque. Qibla is facing to Mecca in 7th century. Okay, and we're not going to say where they are facing yet, yeah. okay? We're going to leave the, the viewers ho holding right there because they wait till they find out where these mosques are facing. Yeah. We're not going to say it now. That's right. You're going to have to tune back to find out exactly where they are because it's hugely important because not only where they're facing is significant, why they're facing there, and why is it for 100 years they don't face Mecca is also significant. Yeah. So we're going to look and zero in on Mecca as well. We're going to ask the questions about Mecca, yeah. which helps us to understand and look back at what, uh, how Islam really began. Yeah. 
And then we're going to move from that. And those, those are the three historical questions, the, the 26 Arabic Qurans, the six manuscripts, the two Qiblas, which include also Mecca and the emergence of Islam. And then we're going to move into another area, and that is 300 years of different slave narratives or slavery narratives. Yeah. And we're going to be bringing in another expert yeah. on this, Sarah Foster, who yeah. has actually been doing study on this very area. And we're going to unpack what the first 300 years of Islam looked like vis-a-vis -vis slavery. Yeah. And then we're going to look and see what the first 300 years of Christianity looked like vis-a-vis yeah. -vis slavery. It's very disturbing how Islam treated human beings who are made in God's image. Um, and it's very sad what happened with human beings under the Islam and because of Islam. And this is particularly important for her because she is a descendant of slaves. So it's very close to her, not only her own identity, but it's also her history. So we're going to bring her in as an expert and she's going to show us some statistics. Just the sheer number of slaves that went under Islam vis-a-vis -vis, and in comparison to the number of slaves that went out in the European slave trade that went yep. to the Americas, my country, and to South America. That's a whole nother historical question that Islam has not dealt with. Hugely significant, yep. and yet it's becoming, it's, there's so few people that have ever broached that subject, we're going to do that. Yep. And then fifthly, we're going to look at one other area, and that has to do with Spain, known as Andalusia. And we're going to talk about Andalusia, 600 years of Andalusian revisionism. What we mean by that, if you look at the 600 years of what we have been told about Andalusia, we're now finding that almost all of it is false. This great paradise, this great benign example of Islam, this great example of what Islam wants us to believe, uh, we have now looked at the original sources. And we're going to unpack this. Beth Grove is going to come. She has done the study on this. She is looking at some of the original material that has just been brought to date this year. Yep. Actually, last year, 2016, uh, this new study came out from those in uh, Andalusia or in Spain. Spanish researchers have gone back to the original, the original documents and found that it is not the same story that Islam has been telling us. Over here, Islam has made a claim. They have claimed that the Quran is perfect. They have claimed the Quran is Muslim inimitable. Muslims make that uh, did claim. Did I say that? I'm sorry. Sorry, Muslims made that claim. Muslims have yeah. made that claim. They have said over and over again that Islam and the Quran are inimitable, that Islam has begun this way. There's that classical model. We've been told this model over and over again. I, as long as I've been living and as long as I've been working for, with Muslims, I have been told this is how Islam began. Here's how the Quran was put together. Here's who wrote it. This is how it was revealed. I've always been told only one narrative. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at the original sources. We're going to go back to the earliest sources of everything we're going to look at. We're going to look at the earliest sources of the manuscripts. We're going to look at the 26 Qurans that you've come up with, and you say there might even be more, to see whether or not they really do uh, parallel each other. Yep. And then we're going to go and look and see what we can find out from the earliest sources concerning how Islam began. Because everything Muslims have been telling us about how it began do not come from the 7th century do not come from the 8th century. They only begin to start writing down their history in the 9th and 10th century. That's two to 300 years later. That we're going to look at. We're going to ask why it took so long to write this out. And then we're going to ask and see, well, what about slavery? We've always been told that Islam 
is the only religion that has no problem with slavery, that that's a Christian problem. We're going to find out a completely different picture. Yep. And then we're going to end with Spain and show that Spain, actually, everything we've been told about Spain now seems to be fraudulent. So, historically, this is something that we're going to do to begin with. And then we're going to move into other areas. We're going to look at women's issues. We're going to be looking at the problem of violence in the Quran versus violence in the Bible. We're going to be doing a lot of comparatives between the Bible and the Quran, between Christianity and Islam, between Jesus and Issa, between Allah and Yahweh. These are other comparisons that we'll be doing later on. Yep. I want people to realize some of the material that we're going to be introducing is explosive. Much of it is controversial. Certainly a lot of it is confrontational. But we need to ask these questions because everything we are going to ask of Islam have already been asked of Christianity. We have had this historical criticism for almost 200 years now. For the first time, we can now ask the exact same questions were asked of our Bible, we can ask them of the Quran. The exact same questions that have been asked of Jesus Christ, we can now ask of Muhammad. We can start unpacking and looking at the text itself and looking and seeing what Islam has said, what it is saying, and what it will say. Stay with us. This is the Jay Show. I want to invite you to come back as we unpack each one of these areas and as we bring back not only what we believe, but also what you need to believe. We want to bring you home to Jesus Christ and to the Bible and to His revelation.